Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, welcome back. So today I want to once again return to the topic of Iran. And and you kind of know what I'm going to be talking about today if you read the title. Uh, What would war with Iran mean in terms of the U.S. and the global economy? Would they be able to survive such a war? Now, I want to start off by saying this. Let's let's define what I mean by war. And, and I'll even lay out a bit of a scenario for you. Because war can mean a lot of things. Some people would say we're already at war. That that Trump's attack on them or, or a recent, relatively recent attack on by Iran on our forces or their, their proxies on our forces, that marked the beginning of a war. Some would say that we've been at a war with them since 79. Uh, what I'm talking about here is a somewhat limited war uh, in the sense that this isn't a World War III necessarily. I'm talking about a war because that's hard to conceive and, and, and whatnot, but, but a war where the U.S. and Iran are fighting, our allies in the region, Israel, Saudi, maybe Europe to some extent, versus Saudi, uh, sorry, Iran, uh, Syria, uh, some of their other uh, proxies and allies in the region, okay? And, and we're going to say the U.S. in this scenario, no, let's just lay out what a scenario I'd have in mind. So we we have the recent missile attack on U.S. air base, uh, and in the coming weeks, let's say, I just say, Iran retaliates somehow again, because as I said yesterday, or one of my recent podcasts, depending on when I published this, uh, you know that that airstrike or that uh, yeah that, that that missile strike on U.S. base probably wasn't the extent of their retaliation. More is coming. So, who knows? It could be a cyber attack on U.S. infrastructure. Uh, it could be action in the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz. It could be uh, seizing a couple of tankers or, or uh, positioning themselves along the strait as to, to close it off, whatever. And the U.S. decides to act. That's the last straw for them. And airstrikes begin in the Iranian country. Iran retaliates. Uh, they launch some, some missiles uh, this time targeting U.S. troops and not just the base, uh, potentially U.S. naval forces, carrier strike group in the area, uh, other bases in the area, potentially even striking uh, infrastructure such as, as oil infrastructure in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, uh, uh, and some other you know oil-rich countries that, that also are not aligned with them. And, and of course, their proxies do their work. Uh, Hezbollah, the other Iranian militias and whatnot, you know, a war between uh, Israel and, and Hezbollah would, would likely occur. Uh, Syria uh, takes their side. You know, who knows what Turkey's doing in this scenario? But let's say Russia and China, for the most part, stay out of it, at least officially. U.S. and, and Russia and China don't don't actually go at it. Okay. And, and, if, and of course, you know, there could be attacks stateside. By, by Iranian proxies. There could be some in Europe. The U.S. could maybe carry out limited ground operations in Iran, uh, special ops and whatnot. And, and, and Okay, it's, that's the picture I'm painting for you. What would happen to the U.S. and the global economy in that scenario? Uh, well, in short, I, I think the first thing we have to talk about 
is oil markets. Oil markets would be rocked by this. And of course, it depends on the extent of damage to infrastructure and whether or not oil is able to make it out of the Middle East, particularly through the Strait of Hormuz. And, and in this scenario, we're going to say there's moderate to severe damage to the infrastructure, and it's cut by 80%. The amount of exports out of the Middle East in terms of oil because of damage to Iranian and Saudi and Kuwaiti and whatever else facilities, uh, that 80% cut. And, and so I think that's a good place to start. Uh, what would that mean for the global economy? If, if oil all of a sudden goes to, from where it's at now in what, the 60 range, uh, up to 150 to $200 a barrel, what does that mean for the U.S. and global economy? In, invariably, and, and don't let the media tell you otherwise, because I'll, I'll tell you why they do say otherwise sometimes, it would be a negative. It would be a negative for the global economy because fossil fuels are so important to everything we do for transportation, for agriculture, for manufacturing, for heating uh, buildings, homes, uh, for, for everything, right? And it's not just oil, but oil is kind of key in oil-based products, right? So, so automatically, it's like the cost of everything goes up, right? It's, it's uh, I mean, that's almost a rule, to, you know, to borrow a bit from, from Steve St. Angelo at the SRS Rocker Report, it's, it's really the rule of energy return on investment. And if all of a sudden energy is so much more expensive, energy is a key input to almost everything we do on a daily basis. And if all of a sudden it's more expensive, uh, productivity goes down. Standard of, all else being equal, the economy would suffer. Now, w- with a caveat, we can say that some places would do fine. Russia, a big exporter of, of fossil fuels, would probably benefit Indonesia, uh, maybe China, uh, some other big oil producers, and of course the United States. Uh, the United States produces a large amount of shale oil, which is a fairly expensive way to produce it, and at current prices may or may not be uh, profitable, depending on the outfit, depending on where they're they're drilling for it. But if oil was at one hundred fifty to two hundred dollars an ounce, it undoubtedly would be would be profitable, right? And so some areas may, may benefit from this, depending on how long oil sits at that level or if it goes even higher. Uh, but as a whole, it would be a net negative because the key input to it, almost everything we do, energy, will have, have increased in, in cost, right? So that's one thing to, to, thing to consider. Now, there's obviously a flip side to all these arguments I'm making here, but, but I'm going to start off with some of the net negatives of, of a war with Iran. Uh, you also have damage due to uh, actual acts of war. Now, first, I mean, first of all, there's Iran, which would take the brunt of, of this supposed war, and and we we could envision, I think we could all envision pretty significant damage to Iranian infrastructure, certainly their military facilities, but also as a whole, you would see their economy plummet in terms of, of growth. It would quickly contract because of, of fear, because of of. Uh, disruption to to infrastructure, utilities, uh, straight up uh, fatalities. I mean, all these things have a huge cost to economic growth, and and Iran would likely dip into a pretty significant depression, as would probably a lot of other Middle Eastern countries: Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, if some of those countries aren't aren't already in a recession, their their economy would be severely impacted by all this. 
right? And then you also have to ask yourself, you know, abroad, what would be the impact of this if, if uh, you know, these so-called sleeper cells in Europe or U.S. carry out significant attacks on, on infrastructure? What if, it, what if uh, they, uh, the Iranians carry out cyber attacks on infrastructure, uh, the, the power grid, water, dams, whatever? That's a huge cost to the economy as a whole. Again, another net negative. Plus, there's also just the aspect of, of terror. If terror strikes are carried out in Europe or the United States and they're significant enough and there's a perception by the public that more can come, uh, that, that overall is conducive to an environment of, of fear. And, and fear, you know, unless we're talking about maybe like, like the gun industry, which might benefit, or, or something along those lines, armored vehicles, body armor, sure. But as a whole, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's negative. For the economy, when when that high amount of fear of something worse coming is is on the mind of, of each and every man and woman in the United States, Europe, and elsewhere, right? So, those are kind of the big negatives, and and they're huge. I mean, we can't dismiss the the damage to the economy because of higher oil prices, uh, Middle Eastern countries, and and those are close as well as potential damage to other countries abroad. There's a flip side to this, though. And, and the first one we, I think, have to talk about is how will central bank banks respond? I mean, I think central banks would be more than happy. The, the, the Fed, uh, the ECB, People's Bank of China, Bank of Japan, etc., would be more than happy to respond with, with stimulus, lower interest rates, quantitative easing, etc. And yeah, I get it, guys. Those are very damaging policies, uh, those caused damage that have not yet been fully realized in, in the time span that they've, they've uh, taken place since the Great Recession. But, you know, lower interest rates over the short term and quantitative easing will at least help to prop up markets, maybe help prop up the economy. I mean, we could see a scenario as, as crazy as it is right now, stocks at all-time highs, uh, despite uh, the issue of Iran and, and other issues. We could see a situation where we're in open war with Iran, full-blown war that I described in the scenario, and stocks are still doing very well because of the Federal Reserve. Now, I don't know if that will actually be the case, but because of the Federal Reserve, they can, over the short term, provide that stimulus, as can the other central banks around the world. The the other, and, and I can't deny that. Now, long-term, uh, the question we have to ask is, how sustainable is that? And... Just how much action would it require? I don't think cutting rates by 2% plus $100 billion a month of QE would be sufficient. It would, it would likely have to surpass that pretty significantly to, to keep things where the Fed wants them to be, right? And this would be a, a worldwide thing. Worldwide central banks would likely participate with this under the guise of a significant Middle Eastern conflict. The other thing that has to be talked about is also the cost of war. And this is oftentimes portrayed, and, and this drives me sick, but, but war is oftentimes portrayed as a boon for the economy. Based on some really poor anecdotal evidence, you know, they'll talk about World War II being such a boon for the economy, but it was all, all debt-fueled boom. I, I, look, I, I can't deny that if all of a sudden there are more jobs out there whether it's caring for, for wounded veterans or manufacturing bombs and missiles and B-2, I probably won't start production lines of those again, but, but F-35s or, or M-1 Abrams or whatever, um, 
that that would potentially be a, a positive for the economy. I can't deny that that those jobs are are there, right? However, it would all be debt based. War is a racket. War is a waste. It's a huge waste. And what do I mean by saying that? It's unproductive. Now I get it. You're achieving goals, whatever those may be in this supposed war. In World War II, the, the goal was to eliminate uh, Nazi Germany. And, and that was a noble goal and whatnot. Uh, in the Vietnam War, maybe not so much. It was to fight off communism in Vietnam. And, and, and it cost a lot of money. It was unproductive. I mean, what do you do during war? You, you kill and you destroy. And you potentially take over land. But, but you kill and you destroy. So bombing people, killing people, and, and other forms of combat, those may have the effect of achieving your military goals, but they're unproductive. First of all, there's what you're, you're destroying, you're damaging. Let's say we were bombing Iran. I mean, I, I get it. Uh, Iran is whatever. You know, they're supposedly our enemy, and, and who cares if they get bombed? Well, guess what? It still damages global economic growth, and it still can throw the global economy into a recession, right? But then there's also the, the munitions you're using, the cost of all this. I mean, how much does it cost, honestly, to get a B, you know, B-2 bomber or F-35 or F-18 or whatever off of the runway or, or the aircraft carrier? I'm guessing hundreds of thousands of dollars a flight. And I'm not joking. Look at the cost of some of these. It's expensive. Never mind the cost of the aircraft itself. And the bombs and the missiles and the fuel and, and the wages for the pilots. War is expensive. And it's wasteful. It's unproductive. Right? And so, I mean, and, and this is such a pervasive argument that war would stimulate the U.S. economy. To which I would answer that. I, I would answer with this question. If war would be such a benefit to the U.S. economy, why haven't generals or politicians or economists figured out yet that the easiest way to do it without any loss of, of life would be to pick an open field or, or a desert, you know, southeast uh, United States, pick a giant desert uh, and, and line up column upon column of M1 Abrams, uh, uh, F-22s, uh, Bradley assault vehicles, throw in there a whole pile of, of explosives and munitions and M4 carbines and and anything that the milita- military could potentially use. Throw a whole pile of, of 5.56 ammunition in there. Throw it all in there. Anything the military would potentially use. Airlift a destroyer there with a whole bunch of, okay, it's not realistic, but let's throw a destroyer in there, right? Pile it all up and bomb the crap out of it. Blow it to pieces. Drop some Moabs and and, and some other munitions on this military equipment. Sounds pretty crazy, right? No, of course it is. It's so incredibly wasteful. Like, yeah, you you got some jobs to to build all that equipment, and now you have to replace it, and and great. Does that qualify as a boon for the U.S. economy? No, because that's all debt-based, and it's unproductive. I'm serious. People believe this. And, and the argument I'm making here is it's bogus. It makes no sense. Right? It's, it's akin to those that say, uh, and, and again, economists legitimately say this, hurricanes are good for the economy. Why? Well, they 
blow over a bunch of houses and, and break windows and tear off roofs and, and think of all the jobs that are created to manufacture those windows and that sheetrock and the cement and whatever else and then and then actually install it on the houses and build new houses and, and, and the cleanup effort and think of all the jobs that are created by hurricane, you know, the hurricane industrial complex. Severe weather industrial complex. I, I'm joking, obviously. But I, I'm not joking. I'm dead serious when I say people believe that that is good for the economy. And when you look at the numbers, sure, GDP actually can appear stronger because of that. Same thing goes for war. Because of the jobs, because of the production, produced materials and whatnot, the purchasing of those materials, sure. But it's wasteful. I mean, can you honestly say that if we had a Category 5 hurricane strike Florida, can you honestly say, that's that's good. The economy is looking up with all of this recent tropical weather. No. No, not at all. I hope not. That's pointless. That's, that's wasteful. It's destructive. It's not good. Because that money, whether we're talking about uh, money used for an Ebon Abrams or sheetrock in a house, that money could have been used elsewhere. It could have been used uh, thrown in savings. You could have just not taken out that debt in the first place, whether it's consumer, corporate, or at the government level. You could have used that to uh, create other jobs. You could have used that to increase the overall standard of living. You could have used it to whatever. And instead it was used in, in a way that's ultimately unproductive. Necessary, maybe, in the case of, of cleaning up and repairing after a hurricane, but pointless in the case of uh, a war with with a foreign power. And so, I mean, I think that's, uh, this doesn't sum up my answer, ultimately, of, of would this collapse a global economy? It would be a net negative, though. Hugely net negative. Even if GDP numbers over the short term maybe find a bit of a boost because of it, it's a net ne- negative. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Now, would the global economy, the financial system, the fabric of our financial system fall apart in this scenario? Well, on one hand, you'd have a very accommodative Fed and and other central banks. On the other hand, we're looking at a very high-risk event for stocks, for the oil market, uh, and, and overall, you wonder, you know, that high amount of fear, what would that do to consumer confidence? What would it do in terms of, of liquidity in the system? Um, I'm, I'm convinced that a major war with Iran could, you know, or whatever major war we're talking about, could potentially be what helps set off a major financial crisis or, or global economic collapse. Now, I also know that any major war with Iran would also be uh, it would also coincide with with central bank and, and central government action to to stimulate the economy. But but look, uh, every passing day, we're getting closer and closer to where that doesn't matter. In in relatively peaceful situation now, we're getting closer and closer because it's been tried so many times. Following the recession, the Great Recession, following the European uh, sovereign debt crisis, following the Chinese growth scare in 2015-2016, following the the more recent trade war stuff, which is all still going on. Central banks, governments have stepped in with credit growth and liquidity. Uh, Tune into my recent podcast and what I'm talking about there. 
But the nature of those things is that they are less effective as you apply them over and over again. It's a, it's a law of diminishing returns. All right. So ultimately, it's going to be less and less effective in, in actually stabilizing the global economy. And it's going to, going to get to the point where, where debt is so high, balance sheets are so large, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, then there's so much disruption in other markets like the oil market, other fossil fuels, uh, uh, precious metals, stocks, you name it, that the Fed is and other central banks and, and governments are going to be unable to to stop this train wreck from, from ultimately happening. Right? And, and this situation I'm laying out of, of them being unable to stop it, it, it's equally plausible under peacetime or wartime conditions uh, with, with some differences. I mean, maybe the central banks are, are going to be more willing to do it during wartime situations, but, but they're going to be willing either way. And, and their ability to stimulate the economy is going to continue to decline. So I don't know if it's going to be war with Iran, but the potential is absolutely there. War with Iran, North Korea, uh, any other major global conflict would have the potential to set things off in the economy in a big way. And, and on top of all this, you also have the risk of inflation. I mean, government spending, war, quantitative easing, lower interest rates, all those things are also going to pile on uh, the, the impact of, of inflation on the, you know, the average consumer, the economy as a whole, and whatnot. And, and that's, I mean, uh, inflation is, is probably the last thing the government would want during a war. Uh, granted, government statisticians, uh, you know, Bureau of Labor Statistics, what's the other one? Uh, Bureau of Economic uh, Activity or whatever, BEA or something like that. Um, they would they would mask these true numbers, I'm sure, just like they have for years. The true amount of unemployment, of, of inflation, GDP. But when it's all said and done, what's real is what matters. It's not these phony numbers. And so, yeah, I think the potential exists. However, don't hold your breath for a war. Uh, and, and also don't think that it's going to take a war to set all this app off. It, it very well could happen in, in peacetime conditions. So that's my take today. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. hope this has been, I don't know, a good mental exercise to go through. Let me know your thoughts. Comment down below. Leave a review if you're in the podcast world or shoot me an email at w23matt at gmail.com. I know I have at least one email to reply to from uh, earlier this week. Um, and, and finally, for those of you still on YouTube, uh, I, I hope you guys know that in the not-too-distant future, you very well may be outnumbered by my podcast listeners. So why don't you join the crowd over on the podcast world? I'll, I'll, depending on when I publish this, may or may not leave a link down below in the description. But just go to your favorite podcast platform, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, install one on your, on your device, or you can Google podcast platform. And then once you get there, just Google Silver Fortune. You know, depending on what you're using, you may or may not need to, to create an account. But subscribe to me. Start listening over there. Get away from this YouTube business, uh, which which so often tries to, to silence voices they, they disagree with. Uh, really leaves me at the whims of, of the algorithm, the, the almighty algorithm, supposedly, and, and all that. You guys know all this. I've been telling you guys this for a while. But I did want to update you guys. I'm... I'm seeing a ton of growth in the, the podcast world. I'm incredibly thankful for that. But I'm still holding out for, for a lot more of you to follow me over there. I'm talking hundreds of views. So, of, of views, yeah. So anyways, 
check me out over there. As always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast, and God bless.